Hey, what's up? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Des Trainer. Des is the co-founder of Intercom, and he's also given a bunch of talks about product. So many of you guys requested him as a guest, so Des came on to talk about product, and he also talked a bunch about how he's changed roles since he co-founded Intercom, and he shared a bunch of lessons that he's picked up along the way. All right, here we go. How did you meet your co-founder and decide to get going? Sure. So I was originally a computer science student and I started a PhD and my PhD was an attempt to see if we could automatically measure how good a a programmer is basically. So put them through a variety of of sort of simulated code and ask them to say what the output would be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, we had some really interesting findings from that research, but I got bored. Uh, <laughs> I got bored for two reasons. One is that some of the findings were slightly uncomfortable for some universities because I was basically saying that, hey, this person you're saying is getting a 65% score. I actually don't think they can program because they can't tell me what this code outputs. Oh, wow. And um, people don't want to hear that, obviously. Uh, Just so. because they figured out how to take exams well? Yes, precisely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like, so typically the way, and this is true worldwide, I think the way like uh, people in uh, universities would mark a piece of code is they say, all right, we'll give them three points if they have a for loop and two points if <laughs> <laughs> if statement and people just learned that off so like yeah. the the phenomena is like that template based marking encourages template based learning so yeah. people people like know what a solution should look like but they have no idea what it does right much like learning off latin or something so uh so anyway i was kind of that finding was became more and more uncomfortable for universities mm-hmm. and as i said hey i'd like to do something uh, study on your students uh here's my hypothesis they're like no thanks <laughs> uh so i started writing a blog instead because that okay. was the alternative to publishing was just to write about this stuff <laughs> And then I started writing about design and usability. And one day somebody commented on my blog. His name was Owen McCabe. And uh, he was organizing this coffee morning yeah. in Dublin City for like all the like, you know, the people who worked on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> which is a small group. And this is like 2006. And uh, and I went along. And, and actually, it's funny story is I met Owen for the first time there, who I went out to start Intercom with. Uh-huh. I also met my wife for the first time at that, at that, really? that same wow, meeting. Wow, yeah. high value. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was exactly a good day's work. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I actually went and took a different job with a consultancy. Uh, and then for one year, me and Owen kind of kept in touch. And then one day he mailed me and said, hey, I'm starting my own thing. Do you want to get involved? So we started working. We had an agency called Contrast. It was like a design agency. And then we were following the 37 Signals model. We wanted to like have a side project that we'd eventually pivot to. Uh, so our side project was a tool called Exceptional. It was a Ruby on Rails-based error handler. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it would like alert developers and notify them, hey, this piece went wrong and here's who was affected. Uh, and that was like, you know, so that was the normal trajectory. And then one day uh, we were like, we were getting really frustrated trying to communicate with our users because we had like thousands and thousands of people using the product. But the product like was, you know, it would frequently perform slowly or fall over or, and we were, we, you know, the, the state of the internet back in 2010 <laughs> uh, wasn't good. Like, so the infrastructure wasn't there. There was no Stripe. You know, you know, we, if we wanted to mail all of our paying customers to apologize for some downtime, it was like, log into the PayPal dashboard, get an export of all your subscriptions, run that through some Perl to extract email addresses, import the email addresses into <laughs> campaign monitor or MailChimp, send out a notification, get all the replies and like, you know, and all the like auto replies and all that shit back into your own email. <laughs> you know resurrect your email after like two hours of going through it trying to fix it up and all of that we had to do every single time we wanted to say anything to our customers that was the norm so one day uh we had this little message pop up in the bottom hand corner bottom right hand corner of of the product saying hey we're sorry we were down yesterday here's the changes we made read our blog post and people are like oh and we saw a lot of engagement on the blog post much better than we ever saw with email and then we sort of started to riff from there we're like well what if people could reply to us like imagine talking to somebody when they're using your product and letting them talk back so 
inevitably, you know, we started adding these little bits and pieces of features. Uh, another iteration was like, what if we could see everyone who's read the message and everyone who hasn't? That became the basis of what we call an active user list. Like, who's using the product right now? All of this in 2017 is taken for granted, but this did not exist in 2011. <laughs> and uh, so we started, and then it was like, what if we could send a message to some people, but not all people? What if we could send it at a specific time? Today, we call that like behavioral marketing automation. But okay. like back then, we were just like, this just seems like it makes sense. Uh, so inevitably, I remember distinctly reading one comment going like, I'm not actually much of a fan of your product, but this little chat thing is amazing. <laughs> uh, we're like, maybe you should all go build like, that or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? And, uh, and, and like, obviously, we had been like thinking that a lot, but like, it was like the feedback we were getting from people really just pushed us and pushed us. So eventually, we sold Exceptional. It went on to become a part of Rackspace. And then we had this little thing for talking to users. We had a new problem now. We had no users. <laughs> so we had to go and build the back end, if you like, so that we yeah. could give it to other people so that we would have our own customers so that we would know. Well, I, w- I was yeah. wondering if you were yeah. just going to steal all the users from Exceptional and move over. Because this was maybe the most asked question for you. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I w- the, the folks who acquired Exceptional, they were actually kind enough to use Intercom to push one last message out to sort of say, hey, okay. we're the new owners. Like, we're here. We're great. We're going to love you for the rest of your lives, et cetera. If you're curious what happened to the old gang, they're off working on this thing called Intercom. Okay. Go check it out. And uh, I think it was like July 1st, 2011, we got to like the top of Hacker News uh, for like, you know, Intercom, like a, co- a cool new product or whatever. And uh, and the engagement on that thread, it's, I still read it. And then it was just kind of, that was the first one where I was like, I knew that other people had this problem. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and, and was that the HN? Was that your first push for signups? Yeah, pretty much. So we had, so we had like a reasonable sort of, uh, contact list from people who had used our previous products, people who we knew from conferences or people who had read our old blog. So we had an audience of sorts and we, my, my job in the early days was like literally mailing people every day and be like, here's what Intercom could look like inside your product. Do you want to give it a try? One by one, like literally one by one, we were onboarding people. If they said yes, they'd jump on a Skype call with our CTO, Kieran. He'd walked them through the installation. Like this is like, this is what it took back then. Like, uh, and like one by one, we were winning customers. And then once we felt we had a relatively smooth sign up flow, we we're like, well, let's tell the world and see what happens. Okay. Cause you guys have made a giant content push. Mm-hmm. Was that going on previously with the other company? Yeah. So, okay. uh, and our, and when we were consultancy, content was the way we would try and like get attention so we could attract clients and then later on it grow a user base for exceptional. But with Intercom, it was very, it was, you know, we, we knew we were good at it. Uh, I specifically was my job. Uh, so I was like, right, well, the Intercom, you know, today we're a lot more polished in terms of saying what we're actually selling. But like, uh, <laughs> but, but back then it was just like, we need cool startup folks to read this. And then if we can win their trust, then we'll be like, Hey, try and song this. <laughs> And it, and that was like that was like the you know the a very common question I guess what was the basis of your content strategy and I'm like write shit startup people read and then try and tell them about your product every now and then that was like and that was what we did I wrote I think I wrote 93 of the first 100 posts whoa um, and it was all like here's how you grow a user base here's how you should think about funding here's how you should name your product it was just anything that we felt we had any a bit of uh, expertise in yeah we'd like sort of write a post around it and. Every now and then we'd be like, oh, here's something else we added to Intercom. You know? Yeah, because this is, um, that's a critical understanding that we could blow right past. Uh, so many people in their content just try and do sales pitches over and over yeah. and it never works and they can't figure out why. Yeah, it's, it's my, my number. Like, basically, you're totally correct. Uh, a lot of people's attempt at content marketing is I want Intercom's user base. So they blog. So I just need to write about my product all the time. Yeah. Uh, whereas we actually took very much like it's content first, marketing second, right? You know, so it's like the has to, content has to be good. Yeah. So the, the advice I'd give people is usually like, 
think about who your actual end target user is and think of all the problems in their life that you can help them with. Uh, and then try and help them as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And then every now and then, hopefully, you're, if you're ideally aligned, your product also solves one of their problems for intercom. It's usually like, you want to grow your web app or you want to grow your user base. We can do that. Um, but, we'll, but we know to get your attention, we have to plant many seeds. So we'll talk about design. We'll talk about product. We'll talk about product strategy. We'll talk about like you know tech news. Whatever makes sense to us, we'll talk about as long as it, the criteria we have is generally it should be like timeless content. It should always be roughly true. And... Uh, and that's how we we have like you know a very very big use, readership of our blog today, and uh, it's one of our you know it is our dominant traffic uh, source. But uh, we you know that wasn't true for the first one hundred posts. Well, I, I was wondering, were you punching above your weight at that time? Did it feel weird writing these kind of authoritative posts? Uh, so I think um, it definitely didn't, did not feel weird. I think like the reason. I would say I felt confident to do it is because we, it was never, I was never trying to say like, here's how you, you know, like a, here's how you, you know, scale a $100 million error or company or whatever. And I hate when people try to do that. Uh, we were always talking about, about like, you know, all of our experiences were based on the two products we had run, Intercom and Exceptional. And it was like the lessons that we had learned. So I, I was always careful to kind of qualify like, Hey, like we're at 6,000 active users. We were at zero four months ago. I can talk to you about the zero to 6,000 <laughs> thing. And I think that's relatively safe. Yeah. Uh, so, and then like the, the areas where maybe it was, you know, sli- slightly more, if we talked about branding or say how to name your company or, or like how to think about your product vision. Yeah. There are definitely better people in the industry, but they're not fucking writing these posts. So <laughs> we're what you get. Do you want it? <laughs> you know? totally. yeah. Um, at that time, did you consider yourself a strategist? No, no, I, I consider myself like a, a, a startup person, if you know what I mean. Like, because you were CS yeah. undergrad, right? Yeah, yeah, computer science, yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, yeah. so you, were you the CTO at the time? No, no. Uh, so I was just a, a computer science undergrad. Uh, in fact, all of the founders studied computer science, but uh, our CEO and I moved into moved into design as our career. I was like a yeah. UX designer, you know, usability testing, interaction design, that sort of stuff. Owen was uh, primarily a visual designer. And then we had uh, two or two other two engineers, was like a person who built the front end of Intercom, like the little messenger piece. Uh-huh. And then our CTO basically owned the rest. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, because I was curious about what your role has been throughout the process. Yeah, it's, like how has yeah. it shifted? And we're, yeah. we talked before you were on camera, uh, like it's already shifting again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it will always shift. Uh, I, you know, I do kind of go to wherever the biggest problem that I think I can help with is that's kind of what, what usually attracts me it's like you know I want an intercom to be a world-class company and wherever I see areas where I think I can help level up I'll jump in in the very early days I worked you know my I, I had sort of three jobs like work with own on kind of company vision strategy that sort of stuff I work with Kieran and David on what they're actually building day to day and then basically talk to users and you know trying to help people find out about intercom so that was blogging that was like you know, I, I you know i used to do webinars at like you know 7 p.m in the evening in dublin for people <laughs> over here i just do like live here let me talk to you about anything to do with the product uh, like it was anywhere i was needed but in the early days it was very much like it was working on what we're building and then trying to tell people about it and then as we grew we brought in like more senior product folk and then yeah and then at some point maybe around 25 people i was like all right product looks like it's in a good place okay what's the next biggest thing? And it turns out we had no customer support at this time. Like I was also doing a bit of that and we had maybe one or two people. So, so I jumped on customer support. I worked with uh, Jeff, who's our director of support still today and built out that team. And there's other teams that came along since then. We had maybe like people ops was the next thing. Then recru- bits of recruiting were the next thing. Uh, and then 
about two years ago, it was marketing. So, so like we, you know, we kind of got to a point where like, we think intercom is definitely the product's definitely going to the right place. We would, we'd love to like kind of refine our ideas about like how we bring it to market, how we describe it, yeah. how we explain what it is, what our, what's our relationship with the media, how do we pay for advertising, all that sort of stuff. So that's what I've been working on for two years. And, and as you said, there'll, you know, there'll be future problems, I'm sure. You but know, it's like, so cool because so rarely founders shift roles in, t- in like, entirely separate categories right it's very common when you start a company to like start doing everything and then focus but to shift roles between groups is different how do you learn those skills yeah i that is a good good question and i do agree it's not like it's not the default thing usually you find your corner and you stay in it like for a very good reason it's what you're good at um i think like two years ago i was when i was starting in marketing i felt a little intimidated because uh marketing itself it's not really um like there's no real like marketing 101 sort of thing there's no like marketing for dummies there's no like there's no like pickaxe book for marketing you know <laughs> well uh, it's less quantifiable than like yeah, this so code like, runs or this code doesn't run precisely yeah. and, and you and it's and if i said here name somebody who's good at marketing and you're not allowed to say apple uh like everyone's opinion is kind of different right yeah. so so and, and like and frankly like marketers don't really like write many articles about how to think about things uh, or like how you structure things or you know i've talked to maybe 50 different vps of marketing at this point about how or marketing org is structured and they're all different like very like like not just different as in ooh, you put one person in, but like substantively different like yeah. even like in terms of like sometimes brand design is inside sometimes it's outside sometimes communications reports to ceo sometimes reports to a partner marketing you know all of that's different so i did find it quite intimidating early on uh and <clears throat> more so than the other areas where i felt there's a lot of literature and there's a lot of best practices out yeah. there marketing was a challenge and, uh, and i the way i actually kind of learned was like i did get connected to great companies and basically sit and learn and absorb and see what worked and what didn't and then i wouldn't say like i kicked ass in marketing and intercom either i've made plenty of mistakes there as well fundamentally based on misunderstanding what roles will work what types of people will work what approaches will work so there has been you know i definitely know a lot more today and i feel like today i'd feel justified in applying for a marketing <laughs> job somewhere but or writing uh, but, a marketing blog post yeah for sure yeah. yeah but but two years ago uh i you know i was aware of two things i was aware that like you know we we tried hiring marketers and we we hadn't worked out well so i figured at the very least if i can learn enough to know what good looks like that'd be great you know were there a couple of rules that you've kind of um, maybe learned just through experience over the past couple of years that you could share? Uh, rules? Of marketing? Yeah, I, I guess um, there, there's definitely like principles I've just picked up over time. One is like the, you know, the general narrative about marketing is people will tell, well, the engineer's approach to marketing is like, we're going to hire some, a marketer and they're going to find the keywords that are CAC LTV positive. That is, the customer acquisition <laughs> cost is less than the LTV and we're going to dump all of our $50 million into that yeah. and it's going to spit out $100 million. <laughs> and like basically that never happens, right? That, and, and I really like, someone's going to be like, I'm <clears throat> sorry, Des, I have one case where it never happens like for, for all intents and purposes. Um, and uh, so I think like, you know, Whenever you have someone promising you that, it's usually absolute horse shit. Uh, the, the next, I guess, um, the, let me just take, let's see. So aside from that, like the, the next piece I think is, um, understanding how people buy your product is more important than selling your product, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one big eye opener for me was that like, uh, some people come shopping for intercom. Mm-hmm. Some people come shopping for a, chat widget on our website mm-hmm. right some people come looking for a solution to their growth challenges all right and they're all actually looking for intercom and what i mean is like there are various levels of abstraction uh, various ways people can buy your product so like i think 
a lot of times companies get sucked into selling their product one particular way. Yeah. And maybe they like, you know, maybe they, they pick one of those things and like, we are, you know, live chat. It's like, yes, you're live chat. And some people know that they need live chat as in they've gone to the doctors, they've gotten the diagnosis <laughs> and they're like, we need live chat. So they talk to their friend and their friend yeah, yeah, recommends totally. it. And, yeah. and, and like, so you, so you have this brand one, which is like your friend says install intercom. Yeah. Then you have this, like maybe, uh, you know, you've changed marketing leaders and like, hey, we need live chat on our site. That worked in the old place. And you're like, okay, now we go shopping for live chat. So we need to be in that shopping for live chat. Mm-hmm. Then we have people who are like, hey, I've just joined a new company. And one of the challenges is actually we're not converting leads in our homepage. Now, at this point, like, should they install Optimizely? Should they install Intercom? Should they redesign their homepage? Should they hire a better designer? We're now in a much bigger fight, but we still need to put our hand up and say, hey, that's actually a business problem we can affect too. So, uh, so I think like one of the, uh, the big lessons for us in Intercom has been like learning to be able to like, to put our hand up in all of those different shopping journeys. So like, that was like one, uh, whenever I speak to other people who are maybe like earlier on in the marketing career and, they're looking for guidance. Typically what, what they find is like, you know, in their Google advertising, they're bidding on their own company name. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, that's cool, but that's actually not where to, you know, that's not what people are shopping for. Right. Well, it's a yeah. challenge that we have at YC, you know, like for people in the tech industry who know they want to do an accelerator, like the mm-hmm. likelihood that they know what YC is, is pretty high. Yes. And we can convince them to do YC mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. But then there are other people that are, have no idea what a startup is yes. or have a vi- this vague notion. Yeah. And we have to speak to them as well. Yeah. And so what strategies do you guys use to appeal to that type of person mm-hmm. or each of those people yeah, yeah. without alienating the others? Yeah. So, so and this is, uh, this is kind of a core of what we, uh, how we think about it. So, so when you have somebody who say is, you know, Obviously, YC has a brand, right? Yeah. So, like, so, so some people just shop for YC, and and maybe maybe you're so dominant you don't even need to bid on that because they're going to find you anyway. But also, like, you know, in some sense, you know, there is no substitute, right? Uh, as you take a step back, you're like, some people just want the money, right? And saying like, all right, I'll take YC, I'll take TechStars, I'll take 500 startups, whatever, right? Uh, and in, now you're into an actual brand war. Now the question is, should you bid on 500 startups, the keyword, right? Mm-hmm. Should you should you try and say we are better and here's why we are better than them? If you're shopping for both, come check this out, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the sort of competitive angle to marketing, right? And 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 if you can pull that off, you now get to like compete for all the superset of the traffic, not just the YC shoppers mm-hmm. anymore, right? And then you have the people who like who have a startup and they don't know if they want money or not. In which case, now these people aren't Googling, right? They're not going, you know, hypothetically, if I was to start a startup, <laughs> would I want, to, you know, like that. We could own that long yeah, search term. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be the only person bidding on it. And that'd be you testing it. Like, you know, uh, so like, so, and like, basically what happens is like the amount, the size of the, uh, is getting bigger each time, right? Yeah. There are more people who are thinking about starting a startup than there are people looking for YC today, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but at the same time, like your likelihood of conversion is going down, right? It is in, you know, someone looking for YC is going to convert somebody yeah. who's like thinking about uh, taking incubator money. They might not convert, right? Uh, your pitch needs to be more all inclusive at the sort of far side. So you can't, you can't start. If I'm saying, Hey, I'm thinking about taking some incubator money. You can't start with, well, 12 weeks, you're going to have dinners with founders. We had Joel Spolsky in last, you know, I need to be like, Whoa, talk to me about the concept of incubation. First yeah, of yeah. all, you know, get me buying that thing first and then I'll learn why you're best. Right. So, so for intercom, like what that looks like is we need to convince you that you should care about your customers. Right. If you care about your customers and you care about the value of a customer relationship, 
relationship and we can get people on board with that yep. then we're like okay we've built one bridge the next bridge we'd like to talk to you about is why messaging is a great way to build a relationship okay. so we'll, we'll I, none of these pitches indiv- individually convert right they're all like you, this is where people are like why the fuck do you write this shit Des and I'm like so like <laughs> so you have like so you, you write a whole piece that's effusive about why messaging is the future and mm-hmm. messaging your customers is important people are like okay so I get the relationships are important I get that messaging builds relationships. I'm like, okay, cool. Now do you get, now they talk to you about intercom is messaging and our philosophy to messaging. And you see, you have sort of this like cascading series of like thought leadership, you sort of style ideas that bring you from in our world. Like I, you know, I would like to grow a big user base yeah. uh, all the way through to I need intercom yesterday. And in your world, it might be like, I'm curious about incubator cash. Uh, and you want to catch them at that point. And, and maybe the blog post you write there is like, how to think about early financing or maybe it's like why you should move to the valley or like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And you want to catch them at that point. And then you can walk them down the logical path where like there's obviously no other choice. Why on earth wouldn't you go at YC, right? And that's like, you know, that's the actual approach that we've, you know, we've played out in Intercom and that like retrospectively, I can tell you that has been our content marketing strategy, but we didn't start with <laughs> the thinking wasn't that crisp at the start. No. And are you tracking someone throughout this journey? Kind of not. We're not doing a great job on that. Okay. Uh, to be honest, uh, we will get there. Um, yeah. uh, we've just made some good new hires in marketing who will kind of improve that sort of side of things. But we do know, like that. Yes, we we can see that we, the amount of repeat readers we have, and we can see the most popular articles, and we can see the articles that convert most. Uh, now, like this is exactly where like the the. the maybe slightly more Fisher price approach to marketing would be like, Hey Des, I've noticed that the, the piece uh, about intercom's new messenger converts a lot. Why don't you write a lot more of those posts? <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't actually work that way. Right. You have no. to, like, you have to do the warm ups to get them to there. You know? Uh, so I think that's like a, that's the piece that people don't necessarily get. Like you, in general, the marketing world is one where you move from like, this is really hard to attribute and it costs a lot of money down to like, Hey, we spent seven cent and it kicked ass. Right. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing is a spectrum and, uh, and you have to be willing to do the unattributable things, uh, and let them, you know, to kind of, you know, grow awareness or whatever. And then on the far side, yes, the attributable stuff, which looks really, really su- successful mm-hmm. works. But if you only do that, everything suffers. So mm-hmm. one example, I have a friend who like who basically he ran like paid marketing for a very, very big uh, sort of sports gambling firm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he kicked ass one year. He you know, ran all his campaigns phenomenally well. Uh, CEO looks at like sort of the brand spend and looks at the online digital attributable spend. And CEO says, hmm, I'm going to give you all the budget because you're the one who's performant. So next year, what happens? So yeah. he's got all the budget per brand person's got nothing. So you go absolutely batshit heavy on like spending everything you can, but all your conversion rates are dropping. And you're like, what's going what's on? Going on? Yeah. And it turns out that your conversion rates are dropping because you don't have the same brand penetration that you did. Yeah. And, and like, this is why like you need to like think about this thing holistically. You need to ask yourself, are we building the brand? Are we creating the right brand resonance and relevance? that we can cash in on because yeah. the cashing in on i don't want to say it's easy it's, it's an absolute expertise but it sits on a platform of work that has to be done before it the only exception is when you've got like a fast moving consumer good right like if you're like selling shower heads on facebook or something like that it's like just target people who say the word shower hit them hard it does, you know we don't need to like you know we don't need to create this whole big sort of uh, movement around sharing people yeah. already shower you know like uh, <laughs> But yeah, most of us, specifically in our industry, we're not selling fast-moving consumer goods. And we're not selling necessarily obvious things either. Like, it's not a given that you have to install, like, a podcast plugin. Or, well, so or, that yeah, was yeah, a yeah. thing I was literally dealing with this morning before we met up. 
there's an issue with one of the audio files in a podcast I'm editing. Right. And I don't know the word for what's going wrong with it. Okay. I know there must be some effect that yeah, I can yeah. apply to fix it, but I don't even yeah. know what the fucking word is. Right. And I'm sure that's the case yeah. with Intercom. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's the case with YC. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, we have to figure out what yeah. the synonyms are. Totally. Constantly. People don't know they need it yet, right? Like, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's precisely. And uh, the, the other marketing principle, I'd say, is like, um, you you can't sell somebody on the solution until they've bought the problem, right? Yeah. So like me trying to pitch you on like the audio wordler or whatever the hell it is you need <laughs> until you have that problem. You're not even, you don't give a shit, right? It's like, so like, so finding those moments is really, is a really important challenge as well. And like, yeah. and then as you said, like the synonyms, just casting a wide net, like, there's like 10 ways to describe a problem for like intercom. It could be like retention is suffering, or it could be like, we need to accelerate user growth or it's like, how do we maintain user growth? Or it's like, how do I influence uh, customer engagement? They're all actually looking for the same thing, which might be like, I want to speak to my users about at specific times yeah. to get them to take the right action so that they can move forward. Uh, they're all shopping for the exact same thing, but they have a million different ways to describe it. And we need to be there and put our hand up for every single one of those and not just like point them to, this is the other mistake people make, pointing them at like, hey, all right, so I got the bid term, I'm going to point them at the homepage. That doesn't work because if someone says, I want to onboard my users better because onboarding conversion rates are per, and we're like, yeah, we can bid on all that. We know we're good at all that. But if we point you to intercom.com, we're going to say, we're an all-in-one marketing platform where our mission is to make it's internet like, business wait, personal. Yeah. Wait, wait, back, back, back. Sorry. <laughs> Hang on. I thought I was onto something there. You know, we actually need to be like, you want to onboard. You're in the right place. Yeah. And like, and at that point, intercom isn't actually the big deal. We're just like, let's just keep the message about onboarding here. Let me hold your hand and walk you through how we're going to help you with the onboarding problem. And then people are like, okay. And at the very end of all, you'd be like, oh, by the way, this whole thing, intercom. You know, you know <laughs> that's how that works, unfortunately. So a lot of people wanted you to talk about product mm -hmm. how do you think about um all this content marketing effort in the context of you know your product shifting and evolving over time like how do you merge those two things if you know intercom is known for one thing yeah and you have this whole history and all this yeah. seo around yeah. that yeah. when your product starts shifting yeah. how do you think about it so as long as um you know basically at you know every product uh, i've often said like uh you know Product and marketing and, and, and code and design are all like, they're all renderings of the same core idea. Okay. So like, so to give you an example, one core idea in Intercom is like sending the right message to the right person at the right time in the right place. And, um, and we have Ruby code that does that. Mm -hmm. And we have a designed screen called the campaign editor that does that. And I have a blog post that does this and I have a whole conference talk that I do this as well, right? They're all carrying the same message in different ideas. So. At the core of every one of our products, educate, respond, and engage, we have these like core ideas mm -hmm. and we have loads of different ways to sort of talk about them, case studies on how they help, why it matters, what the big vision for them each is. And, uh, and as we've evolved our product, we've had to like bring more ideas mm -hmm. into the fold. The, at the very core, like Intercom, we're about making internet business personal. So as long as we can never bring something in that is the opposite of that, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, but we can certainly have a collection of ideas that we can represent. So when we bring, so we launched a new product in December, uh, of last year, uh, called Educate. And, uh, it was basically, it's our take on a knowledge base for like basically offering, proactively offering, uh, educational content to your customers. And, what that meant was I, you know, I had to sit down with the marketing team and I'm like, all right, well, we need to work out what are the core ideas here and right events. What can we do in terms of events, content? What are we going to do? Books? Are we going to do books? How are we going to get this in a podcast? What's this going to, what are the landing pages for this? What are all the different ways people bid on this? Yeah. You know, media, how are we going to talk to the press about this? So, you know, and you're kind of looking for like everyone, here's the core idea. You're all welcome to take your own lens or your own flavor of it, but we all need to push on this idea. And mm -hmm. so the, the bad things happen, I think, when either 
your product, uh, sorry, your product and your marketing are out of sync. So as in uh, Karen Peacock, who's our CEO, she always says, build what you sell, sell what you build. If you're not doing both of those things, you're in fucking trouble basically right like um but similarly i i think so that that's the first challenge is if, if we're selling onboarding and you think you're building like auto mailing we're, we're in trouble right and then and then similarly the piece that like that i think a lot of startups and we've uh, had to like fight to get this right is is making sure that your brand is also uh resonant with the same ideas like uh, mm. uh, uh you know so you can't you know i often think of you know michelin the people who do michelin star restaurants sure, yeah you know it's a tire company i do uh, yeah so like i often think like that's like you know orthogonal brands in a lot of ways like no one <laughs> no one finishes their meal and goes mm, i'm gonna buy some tires you yeah. know <laughs> like uh like i i do worry i see a lot of startups like specifically people who, who folks who try to copy say something like say stripes brand and they're like right, we, we want to be cool with developers too yeah you're like that's great but you're selling an online writing app developers aren't your thing right, you know they don't care um but they have this really cool tech blog and i'm like but that's literally it's not against what you're doing but it's just totally worth it's just like it just it also happens to happen at the same time right. but it's not helping you at all right well how do you think about product in that way then mm-hmm. because obviously you guys are a big company now mm-hmm. you could release a ton of products yes how do you figure out like what's going to resonate with your customers and your brand so at the very very start we've kind of we set our stall out to say we are we're, our mission is to make internet business personal right so so at the very core anytime we have to like make a decision about whether or not we do a product we ask ourselves does this make business more personal on the internet right mm-hmm. um so you can sort of say like would we release a tool that made it easy to spam people you've never talked to before well no because that's 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 totally opposite would we release a tool that lets you stream soccer live to your mobile phone no because that's i didn't read yeah. that in an interview though yeah i, I, I wish <laughs> that's you, what you would be working on <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah um but like is so like that's kind of our, our yeah. core sort of guardrail for like the, okay. the product is just basically does it do that yeah. and then within there like then we have other like sort of you know uh let's say rubrics for like uh what's the what's the next most important way we could tackle the impersonality of digital business right mm-hmm. and so we kind of move through it like that but uh and you know the the you know every change we make in product uh has to trigger changes in product marketing yeah. product design you know brand content marketing sales etc yeah um so you ha- you do have to have this sort of like inside out sort of thing where like at the very core we decide, all right, we're now also going to you know, do like push notifications. All right, well, why are they personal? Okay, well, let's expand from there, right? And then it has to, it has to weep out into everything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your product, your marketing, and your brand get out of sync. And that's when bad things happen. Uh, and re- really, truly bad Well, you've things. talked about this yeah. in the context of hiring and, and growth, mm-hmm. right? Because you like you become out of sync, and then it kind of expounds, or rather goes exponentially. Yes. If you ha- start hiring the wrong people. Yeah, totally, yeah. It, yeah. It's so easy to, yeah, the, the point I make exactly in, a, in, in a sort of hiring is like, if you hire one person who's not on the same page, and you let them hire people, they're going to hire more people who aren't on the same page. And next thing you have whole wings of the company working against you in, in, in bad ways. Uh, and they don't think they're being malicious. No. They they think they're helping, but you know sometimes they can be doing the exact wrong thing. But more, more often they're just doing something that's literally not helping. <laughs> so it's not hurting, but it's just it's you know they may as well like not be doing it. For right, it's just not working. Yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Yeah, 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 playing games. Yeah. Um, how do you guard against that? Alignment is like <clears throat> I think it's like doing. So we had a, a big event here two nights ago uh, inside Intercom. Um, it's like our blog on tour. We had like a thousand people, and one of the talks I, I was me that gave it was all about like keeping people aligned. Um, I think like 
basically like the the things that you know that when companies go through these really fast growth periods there's a few things that always always get left behind yeah one of them is like new hire onboarding so like person number uh five joining a four-person company has like full access to everyone and basically absolute immersion therapy right they learn everything by osmosis person number 66 joining a 65 person company gets access to three people each of whom have been there less than a year right it's not the same thing but almost always no one's designed it any differently so they're just like oh well you know so like so the, the <laughs> logical conclusion is that the company goes off course so we invested and like we made versions of this mistake uh you know quite a lot in the early days yeah um today we obsess over new hire onboarding like when i leave here i'll be headed back to dublin and like tuesday morning like that's all i'm doing is just meeting people and letting them know like uh what are we doing you know what what are we actually doing here uh, why are we doing it why do we care what is the problem space why why does it matter to us how do we do it like how do we actually work like how does work happen at intercom in certain uh, practical terms this means a one-on-one meeting with you mm-hmm. just talking yeah it, it starts it'll be a combination of sort of first of all, so it's a bunch of new hires and okay. it'll be a presentation for me about like walking through up to see everything and then uh, then it'll, it will be one-on-one meetings and then it'll be you know we'll we'll, we'll take it from there uh, you know because they're not all reporting to me in this case so it'll then be with their manager to kind of keep that going mm-hmm. but it's um like i would say that i still believe that we're probably not even doing enough like but i think most companies don't do enough like they don't they don't really don't think about what what's the experience of being person number 397 at your company yeah and then they act somehow shocked and like i can't believe they thought it was okay to ship that you're like well (laughs) well, show me the guardrails that stopped or like you know how on earth were they supposed to work that out yeah absolutely and yeah you can't like really blame them i mean we do it we need to do Mm -hmm. a better job here as well uh andy cook asked a question related to this Mm -hmm. um so in addition to hiring, uh, yeah. what has been the biggest challenge with scaling the organization? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I guess like there's a, a few ones that have, you know, uh, they're probably more typical, but like when eventually you're, you end up hiring into areas that you don't understand well. Yeah. And, uh, and your best bet at that point is to kind of like go and find somebody who you think is doing a good job at it. And, uh, but like you, you know, you're still, you know, it's still a version of the same flawed logic, which is, I think I can work this out. I, I, you know, right. the same like, they says, wrote a blog post about this. So they, so they, they probably know it all, right? Like, you know, it, it's, there's some version of that. Um, and it, it's very easy when you're dipping your toes in areas that you really don't understand to basically be bullshitted. Um, I think specifically in marketing and sales land, this is more common. Marketers and salespeople are good at marketing to you and selling to you. So if you've never hired a salesperson before, don't be shocked if the first person that comes to you sells you on the roll. You know, like, uh, like that's, you know, you know, that, you know, it's obvious in hindsight sort of thing. But, um, I think like, you know, it, it's genuinely tough to break outside of, uh, outside of your own area of expertise and hire well there. But like, you, you will learn it, but it's just, it, it's, it takes longer and you don't get the same immersion that you did from like, say, studying computer science or something like that. Uh, so that's definitely one. I think we probably more than other companies, we started with two offices. Um, so in some sense, we never had to deal with the, you know, with the like, oh my God, now we're two offices. Uh, we were always two. Yeah. But that's been a challenge, like working out like the right head counts in the right places. We now have four offices. We're in like Dublin, London, San Francisco and Chicago. And, uh, and we're, so we're spread and it makes some, some things really tricky. Like, uh, today we had like, a show and tell sort of thing uh, where everyone, everyone who works on any sort of uh, aspect, anyone who's got anything to show, basically they kicked ass, they closed a great sales deal, built a great piece of product or whatever. They all line up to present, but like orchestrating that is so hard across all the time zones, across all the offices. It's just, it's, it's far from easy. And, uh, and 
you have to do these sort of uh, sort of little rituals to keep the whole company on the same page. Um, but maintaining that is it, it's hard, and it, it was hard for us from the very start. Today we can spend a lot of money on video conferencing and shit like that, but uh, but early on it was it was rough. Like, yeah. do you spend money like flying people around to hang out with each other? Mm-hmm. You do yeah. like any kind of uh, everyone comes together. Conference? We have we haven't done a, a sort of all company all hands. I think in like two and a half three years, but we definitely do like versions of it. So any team that's distributed will all, will will always come together once once to four times a year, depending on the type of team. Okay. Then like the leadership level and executive level, we do like think six times a year or something like that uh, so like there's versions of it like for for me what that means is if i get on flight number ei147 everyone knows me because like, oh, hey, you know, which is never like you know you don't want to be like on foursquare like the mayor of the lounges in the no, airports and all no. that but like say la vie like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what hasn't worked out what's been really hard for you personally uh i think uh marketing has been tough the stuff i've really struggled with is um hiring senior leaders in a function when you don't understand it well is tough uh it's a it's a big challenge and uh and they're never bad people like they're always at this you know when you're when you're going shopping for like directors and senior directors and vps you're only really talking to accomplished people mm-hmm. um so like it's not like you know it's not like you get them in and it turns out they can't they don't know how to write code or something like it's like it's very much uh the feedback period to whether or not their strategy is correct for the company can be six months to a year uh, which is you know which is long yeah. right the impact if they're going the wrong direction uh can be negative because they because you have to bet on them which means you have to like empower them to hire empower them to do everything that they need to do empower them to spend the budget etc yeah uh and then you get to find out like in quite a while if all this pays back and uh so i think like it's the piece that's hard i, I actually don't think i've made that many mistakes per se but i've just paid quite an emotional tax of just kind of a great degree of uh um like fear and anxiety in the recruiting process mm. and then uh and then like uh, i guess and honestly post post hire like you're kind of like well like you know i need to do everything i can to make this a success so i think that's genuinely like that's something i've struggled with um learning a lot of people stuff has been hard like so learning how to like ensure that we actually have a good policy for say performance management i think those conversations and even on podcasts like this it's easier for me to not talk about stuff but like yes of course companies have to fire people and do all sorts of stuff totally yeah um no one one ever wants to hear it of course but like uh i think you know getting to a place where uh you understand that these things should be like openly discussed and, and 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 like and you know uh, professional conversations by people who know what they're doing uh getting there like genuine i think every startup i talk to it takes them way too long mm. um, and i think you know if i was to do it all again of course you'd be more familiar but like uh but i think yeah uh, it, you know there's a lot of obvious pitfalls um that I, and, and and yet i don't think you can necessarily preempt every mistake hmm. I, as in even if i told somebody who was just starting a first startup here's everything i know about this <laughs> like some of it's kind of like yeah that doesn't apply to me and they're not gonna you know yeah. you, you know it, it's back to that point i was saying earlier like you're not gonna buy the solution until you've bought the problem and you know i'm trying to i'm trying to force feed them like you know yeah you know, were there any yeah. books or anything because i i feel similarly like so many people have given me advice and i've had to fall into the hole myself mm-hmm. before i could really learn it but were there any, you know, books or podcasts that really helped you figure out how to manage people better? Uh, Rand's uh, has a book called Managing Humans. And I thought that was, it's written entirely in story form. So it's not, it's not preachy. It's not like, uh, it's not like here's like, you know, it's, it's, it's very much like here's stories from his time. Now I'm sure they're either fake or embellished or modified to protect the innocent. Um, but, uh, but it's written in a very sort of conversational tone where, uh, it kind of reminds me of the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz, mm-hmm. but like, uh, 
it's every story they're almost like fortune cookies when you think about it for a second you're like shit i have been in that situation or or i put somebody in that situation or i was that guy uh and i think like it's a great book for that reason i think at the very least what it does what i see it do like with first-time managers is it opens their eyes to the idea that there's more going on to managing than just being really good at engineering you know <laughs> like uh, they realize there's an actual whole craft here that, that they need to perfect to be to take the next steps in their career and i think it's a great book for that but it's also a book you i think the third time you read it you probably start picking up better lessons than you did the first time mm, you know? okay and so um just to shift gears back to the product again, yeah cool um if someone is just getting started out, mm-hmm. like what do you advise them on thinking about products? Just mm-hmm. framing the entire company. Yeah. Uh, where do you have them start? I guess like I've always sort of said like startups need a strong vision. So you, you do, and like it sounds fluffy and no one, like, you know, people want to start writing code on day one. Yeah. And, but um, there's a sense that you, you need to have a good, strong sense of purpose for your company. And that, that, it's so important for hiring and for like, keeping everyone in line and stuff as well. You need to have like, to have everyone on the same page. You need a page, you know? <laughs> um, so I think like oftentimes I think people start maybe two or three steps down the path. So they might say like, you know, a lot of people email themselves to do's. I'm going to fix that. And I'm like, Okay, I, 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 and I can Fair see enough. how you might have had a, had a brilliant idea, like specifically around that. But it's kind of like, what's the bigger landscape that this sits in? Like, are you trying to change productivity? You know, what's your, what do you believe about productivity that no one else believes? Mm. And it might be like, oh, I believe it shouldn't be siloed, or I believe it should be a part of everyday life, or I believe that you shouldn't be able to take on more than one thing at a time, or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, so, th- so we're going to f- form the basis of a philosophy for you and your problem domain. Mm-hmm. And then we're, then we'll work out what pieces do you think you can uniquely, uh, productify if you know what i mean like you know as in program uh, program and you know codify and then that will form the basis of your product and maybe that happens to look like your tool that looks like an email client but it's actually a to-do list maybe um but like let's take a step back first so that, that's kind of the first conversation i try to have is kind of like let's just appra- appraise the whole environment here and work out what unique thing are you saying um and like when people pitch me on like a, a new weather app or whatever, I'm like, but like, what's your belief about weather? And they're like, well, uh, and they're like, well, I just think that they all look ugly. And I'm like, okay, so you believe that beautiful weather will do what? And they're like, I just like designing weather apps, man. And I'm like, I, I thought that's what <laughs> it was. Awesome. So like, maybe you shouldn't be raising around. <laughs> like, uh, so that, like, that's the kind of the, like the base, the platform. Then um, yeah. the next piece I would say to people is like, you have to find, you, you know, be really wary of solving a small rare problem you can solve a big problem uh you can solve a rare problem uh sorry you can solve a small problem fine a rare problem fine but small and rare is just it's it never works i've never and, I, and these products can be effing beautiful right mm-hmm. but what i mean by this is that basically like problems in your life are either big or small mm-hmm. okay a big problem might be like hey me and seven of my friends want to book a group holiday to alaska and we have to do blah blah, blah, blah and this is a whole big project i'm only going to do it once a year but it's a big enough thing okay fine you could probably build a product around that and probably make some money because there's enough value it's a big enough problem in your life that if we can fix it you'll pay some money or, or we'll take some commission or something right um that, so that's the size spectrum then there's things that happen every year or things that happen every day and uh and the things that happen every day typically like uh you you'll have a lot of engagement so the product will bury its way into your life uh however 
if you have something that no one really cares about that often, uh, sorry, no one really cares about and they don't have that problem that often, mm-hmm. um, let's say over the last two years there was a, a large amount of apps that are all now defunct uh, that were saying, you know the way Mark Andreessen splits up his tweets? We'll help you do that. And they designed <laughs> these like typographically stunning products, as in anyone who looks at this will be like, yes, that is a beautiful product. It's a perfect piece of product. It solves a very rare problem uh, that that uh, is very small in nature, and uh, and uh, that's the extreme case. But there are versions of this, like um, uh, you can imagine, uh, loads of B two B things that happen occasionally, and not that uh, not that big a deal. Uh, then on the other extreme, you've got like problems that occur all the time and are pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, workplace communication, you know, uh, charging your customers money, uh, talking to your customers. Right, it's like big problem, and you, know, you do it every all the time. Mm-hmm. They're like the places where like the Slack, Stripes, and Intercoms, whatever, can play. Like it's like it, it creates that sort of. You know, no one ever, you know, no one ever, you know, threatens to like idly like, oh, we, I guess we're going to change platform provider or whatever, payment <laughs> provider. It's like, no, you're not. It's you're like, locked in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I, I, you know, that's the next piece, which is, I think people can, and, and, you know, Intercom might have been responsible for some of this. I think we, we deified product so much that people just thought if you have a great product, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. the product itself will match with a problem. That's great products match problems. Does it match with a, big problem or a frequent problem or ideally a big frequent problem that's the next big test and i think a lot of startups fall down there when they're like oh we think you're facebook to your instagram and we can do x and y and then it spits out a shopify app and i'm like yeah i i just don't see it being a problem that often in someone's life so uh, so that's the kind of the next wave then there's other like little philosophies i'd say is like like if you're going to charge not a lot of money it needs to be self-serve and it needs to be entirely frictionless for the users and and I see a lot of people get what I call like fake traction where like they handhold a lot of their early customers, like doing the like the YC famed like yeah. call us and install type thing. But they actually don't have a bridge towards a world where where, where that can't where that isn't necessary. And I'm trying to say like if you're gonna spend thirty minutes talking to every single customer who needs to install and you've no bigger picture as to how you're not gonna be necessary, you need to be charging more than nine dollars a month. Yeah. And uh and and that's just you know, it sounds obvious, but I, you'll find a lot of people um like who have a very high, let's call it like a adjusted uh customer acquisition cost, right? When you factor in the founder involvement and all that. They have a high CAC uh and they literally have no uh no plan to get away from it. And yet they have traction because they can point to like the nine grand a month that they're it's making. It's working. Yes, yeah. exactly. But it's just, it's not scalable, you know? And, uh, and that, that's another sort of dangerous area I feel is that people can, uh, and another example, of this might be like, my product's kind of good, but I actually layer in a lot of free consulting time with me. Yeah. Right. So like, this is like, Hey, I've built a way to, you know, automatically email your customers. And, and as part of the service, I'm going to jump in and write all your emails. And I'm like, well, that's what people are buying you. You're a consultant. <laughs> like, no, I'm not. I'm a software provider. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Yeah. It's so, dangerous. Yeah. yeah. What about, um, markets that are growing? So mm-hmm. like something entirely new. Mm-hmm. How do you think about that in the context of, you know, frequency, rare, small, big? Yeah, so I think you know it's it's I wouldn't say essential, but it's really really useful if you're selling into a growing market. But everything I still said, I still needs to apply, right? So like the, the addressable market is is kind of one variable in the formula here. But ultimately, like uh, if it's a small rare problem, uh, it's still like you could have a billion people in the in the addressable market. It's still the fact that it's small and rare still means that they're very uninclined to pay any real money because like the fact that they're in a market doesn't change how much money they have right uh-huh. um so so like that's one problem you have there and then 
the usual uh, knee-jerk reaction of how we're going to get out of this is, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we won't charge users. We'll go with ads instead. And I'm like, but the ads won't work because if it's a rare problem, they're not going to launch the app or they're not going to visit your page all the time. So you don't have the engagement to get the eyeballs, to get the actual, like, the revenue for your publishers so um, or for your advertisers. So, like, you know, it, you know in some sense... You, you know, it is, you know, in some abstract sense, possible to have a product that all of the world uses, like 7 billion people use. But if they actually don't care about it at all, uh, it's not, not important in their lives. They could take it or leave it. And on top of that, they can take it or leave it once a year when the actual problem occurs. It's just not going to work. You know? Yeah, they're never going to pay you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple questions about Intercom specifically in your future goals. So what are, so Fossey Bear on Twitter mm-hmm. asks, what are your top two growth initiatives for Intercom in the next two years? So I have to like, you know, I'd love to ask Fossey Bear what exactly what the definition of a growth initiative is. Uh, I guess like the things I'm keen to do over the next two years is uh, get our marketing to a place where we are comfortable being slightly more direct. I think we've done a really good job from like a thought leadership perspective of getting the attention of a lot of people who should use this B2B and B2C. Um, but I think we need to learn to be more uh, direct and upfront about, say, the ROI of Intercom. And I think that's an area where we have a lot of maturing to do. Like Intercom helps all sorts of businesses, you know, deliver like multi-million dollar results. Um, but we never tell anyone that. We're, we're, we're telling people like you should love your users and treat them really well and good things will happen to your business. <laughs> and that works. Which is true. It's true, right? But, uh, I, you know, I think at some point uh, as you move up through the market, you're, you, the onus is on you to say basically businesses at, at some scale care about two things, how much money they spend and how much money they make. Yeah. So when you try to pitch them something, they just say, hey, here's my two numbers. Which one of these are you changing? And I think, you know, when we show up and we're like, well, if you love your users, they're going to stick around. They're like, shh, 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 don't care about any of that. Are you going to make me money or save me money? And we need to get better at answering that question. Uh, and we need to have better evidence to answer that question. We need to surface more case studies. And we, we have all the material. We just need to be more intentional, I think, about being upfront about that value. Mm-hmm. So that's one whole area that I'm, I'm quite invested in. And the second one for me is um, the, the Intercom brand is quite big. We had like, you know, we had 1,200 people show up to our, our event here on Wednesday. We've had like 6,000 people attend our tour. We have like, you know, obviously a widely popular podcast, books, blogs, etc. Um but I, you know, a, a piece I'm keen to do is, is like kind of connect the dots a little bit better between like intercom, the, 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 the content phenomena of sorts and, and intercom, the software. And, uh, and that's, so that's something else I'll be working on. I don't know if that qualifies as a growth initiative. I mean, it's say. a challenge that we have too, right? Yeah, yeah, like we, for sure. you have things like HN, you have this yeah, podcast, yeah. you have our YouTube mm-hmm. channel. And I was just talking to Michael Seibel yesterday, yeah. like, you know, we're, we've doubled our YouTube channel in like six months and mm-hmm. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. How many of those people know what YC is? Totally. And like yeah, how it totally. actually works. Yeah. Exactly. No, and, and like we have that, like, um, <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of brands get stuck in this sort of ambiguous place where like people know them and love them. But when it comes to shopping for software or shopping for incubators, they just don't see them in that way, yeah. you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and I think that's a, that's a challenge, like, you know, as in you might, it, it could well be, I, I, I would, I'd hope it's not, but it could well be the case that there are like hundreds of thousands of people who really love YC. Uh, but they, when they go shopping for the incubator, they're, they'd rather go to their local incubator shop or whatever. And like, and it's because no one's, 
you know, it's it's because almost, you know, in both senses, intercom voice, you maybe you've been a bit too demure or standoffish. Yeah. Like, okay, come to us when you're ready, but we're not coming to you. <laughs> you know, like, and, uh, and like, maybe that suits the brand. Maybe it doesn't, but like, uh, but it, it, I can see how it's a challenge uh, on, on your side. Well, because on, yeah. I mean, in large part, we're just making stuff that we want. Mm-hmm. And at least me, I don't really consume the super sales forward content and even like blogs and podcasts that are yeah. all about throwing their brand down your throat. Mm-hmm. I just like, I'm not into totally. it. I unsubscribe. I just mm-hmm. get out of it. So for me, that's a thing. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I'm like, okay, there has to be some growth strategy here. But you're precisely, you're the director of marketing. You do yeah. want to think that you're actually doing something <laughs> as well, right? Like, uh, so, and like, yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting spectrum, right? Uh, that I often talk to people about when they're like, you know, in the early stage, stages of a startup, like, if you were to say, like, um, you see, let's say Y Combinator's product is, is the actual incubator, right? It's in like, it's, it's, it's cash for equity in high potential startups. Uh, if you, were to literally only invest on making sure that everyone knows about that, uh, you'll become known as a type of bank or something like it'll, it'll be like, oh, why come here? The financial model, you know, like, uh, and if you really drive for that, then what happens is everyone forgets about all, everything else and, and you don't appeal to people under any other grounds whatsoever. It's just like, oh, if you need money, go to them. And that's actually not your message, right? Oh, no. Because yeah. then we'd be a commodity, which would yeah. be the worst case. Precisely, right? So, yeah. and your, and your value prop is 50K for 8% or something, right? Like, yeah. and, uh, and then, then the very second you quantify it all like that, someone else can be able to say, well, we're 60K for 7%. Totally. And, and, and now you've just lost the fight because you've made it so quantifiable and you've taken brand and all that sort of stuff out of it that you've basically sowed the seeds of your own destruction. On the other extreme, right, you could have like Y Combinator, the global phenomena, right? Like we're, we're, we barely tell you that we do anything other than <laughs> just evoke magnificence. And, uh, and like the, the, the challenge there is then like, you know, you, uh, you know, you're so abstract that no one actually realizes you, you what you do. And like there mm-hmm. are, there are genuine, like there are many like big brands that have become, they've spread themselves. And like I hate to pick on people, uh, I hate to pick on, on big brands, but like they, they stand, like, um, you can think of some of the huge consulting houses or whatever, like, or some of the huge software firms, like, no one really knows exactly what they do, uh, but like, but everyone knows who they are, right? And, uh, and I think that's, that's no use either, right? Becoming one yeah. of the biggest brands in the world that no one can kind of explain for a moment what the hell you do, <laughs> or becoming one of these people that's so associated with your product that you can never do anything else except for your product. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and like, so an example I see is like, you know, someone pitches me on like a startup and it's like, oh, we're, we track tickets for help desks. And what do you call it? Ticket tracker. And I'm like, okay. You do realize that you're basically saying over the next ten years you're only ever going to track tickets. Is that is that like are you comfortable having yeah. like I, I can see how the value uh, is strong for you today because no one's going to ask you what this ticket tracker do right? Uh, no one's going ooh ticket tracker what's the, what, what you know what do you really sell? Uh, but like you've sowed yourself the seeds of your own sort of destruction because like, you can't grow that brand in any way you know. Uh, it's, you know, if you're like, you know, hotels.com, well, what do you do? Oh, we sell, okay, that's yeah. cool. But now you see like hotels.com and we also sell flights and you're like, huh? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So like it's, it's hard to expand a brand that has a high degree of specificity. It's hard to convert a brand that has a high degree of ambiguity. And that's the sort of spectrum that we dance in, you know? And what are those, how do you connect those dots effectively and in a way that makes sense for your users or would be users? 
So, yeah. So like, first of all, it's, it's like finding the point on the spectrum that you're comfortable with. Like it's in, so like intercom, you know, at, at its core, like, you know, it, the idea is it's an intercom. It's like, bzz, you want to talk to people, right? The logo is like eyes in a mouth. You can see and talk to your users. And, uh, and so and our mission is to make internet business personal. So that's kind of like, we've picked a relatively abstract point as in another version of intercom would have been called like website messenger, mm-hmm. you know, right. And, you know, we would struggle then to sell like marketing software or something, you know, so I think for us, it's like finding the, the right level of abstraction such that we can, you know, the, the brand umbrella can kind of cover all of your needs, uh, all of the things you want, you might want to do. And, and to do that right, like, and this is something I would advise all people to do. You need to read up on concepts like brand architecture and understand the difference between an endorser brand and a, and like I say, primary brand and, you know, what, what's the difference between a branded house and a house of brands and all that sort of stuff. That's all like really worth doing. Uh, and then when you've done all that, then it's like, okay, so if we're, if you're deliberately going for a slightly bigger thing, right? You know, you, you could be selling like cheapflights.com or you could say aviate. We will take you to your destination, right? And you have to like work, you know, so yeah. aviate's a harder one to convert. Cheapflights.com is a harder one to expand. So you find your level. Uh, and then it's, that tells you the starting point in your funnel. So mm-hmm. our starting point is anyone who has an internet business, mm-hmm. right? So, so from that point of view, Job one, create an audience of people who are interested in internet businesses and their problems. Mm-hmm. And then job two is then sort of spe- specify into the problems Intercom solves. So we primarily solve go-to-market type problems. So it's like sales, marketing, and support software. That's basically where Intercom plays. Mm-hmm. So talk about the problems for those people. Um, we also talk about product problems just because it's an easy way because basically in early stage startups, everyone does everything. So it's usually the product person is also the marketer. Yeah, you know. totally. So um so then we sort of start building the, the, first of all, grow the audience. Then you get the specificity by like talking about specific problems. And by the way, I say talking and my mind goes to content, but it's worth saying this can be media campaigns. It can be ad buys. It can be sponsorships of events. Mm-hmm. So they, but basically pushing out the messages that you want and ultimately get people to the landing pages that represent the things that you mm-hmm. want to sell. And then obviously try and convert them or, and start talking to them and say, Hey, what were you shopping for? Like, uh, this is what probably the thing we did most in the early days intercom when someone signed up, we'd be like, out of curiosity, what did you think you were getting when you bought an intercom? <laughs> and it was a great question because because it helps us unravel a lot of stuff. Like I see someone had a question here about um, yeah. what, uh, David uh, Coffed asked about like why did we split up our product into like we used to be like just one intercom thing and now we're a suite of things. That was entirely a result of this. It was it was basically realizing we were selling intercom, but people were buying a help desk or people were buying oh, wow. uh, yeah. and and like this is back to Karen's point earlier, like build what you sell, sell what you build. So we're like okay, some people love intercom because it's a great way to support your customers and that's one of the most visible use cases on it that's why you see it in all the sites and when we set when we uh meet them like on our website we need to let them find the thing they want so if job one of that is import a csv of all your targets and we'll set up some campaigns you're like dude i came here to support this is a lot for me right now yeah (laughs) it's like you need to talk to those folks over marketing i'm just trying to support people yeah so what we actually did what we ended up doing was we split up our product into like uh, into the, the things we knew it was used for, which is primarily supporting your customers and marketing to your customers. And that let us be really more, much more specific about when we could pitch Intercom and then we could say, here's what Intercom does for support teams. 
And then if you sign up for the support product, we could say, okay, here's the onboarding steps for support. And we wouldn't talk to you about marketing at all because you're not a marketer. In the old world, we were trying to like charge you and get you to use everything at the same time. So we seemed kind of expensive. And also we were trying to like, it was like a 12 step configuration because we, you had to do everything. And that actually made sense when we were talking to two person startups and stuff way back. Right. But these days we're generally talking to functions, not whole companies. Mm. Um, so, so we had to kind of help people find the exact sort of their own home within the product. So that's why we split the product up. And that's, and that, that comes back to that question of like, as we got more specific, we had to get, you know, have, give every single person who's shopping for a different thing, their own tailored experience to find the, the exact part of intercom they need. Yeah. And so when someone is shopping mm-hmm. on your site, what have been the things that have been most effective in actually converting them right there? Um, we we haven't done a great degree degree of like A B test. I mean, there's a certain amount of your listeners are going to want to hear. Well, green buttons work better than red, Craig. Did you know? That? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you know? But like, there uh, are four hundred shades yeah, of blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think the stuff that we found useful has been uh, unbundling our pitch into the specific ways in which it's bought. That's been huge, and you can actually see like um, if you look at say. I think Stripe's homepage does that pretty well these days. Like they're, they, they can sell you Marketplace or they can sell you uh, Sigma or Radar or Connect or, um, similarly, we, we, we're like, you know, are you in the sales and marketing side of the org or in support marketing work? Uh, and if you're in sales and marketing, we'll, we'll get you with a pitch that works for that. And if, if you're in support, we'll talk to you about like why you should love your users and how we'll increase your MPS and all that. And, um, making those sort of switches rather than trying to sell this holistic mishmash that it's kind of you end up in this like one size fits none phenomena right like um so i think getting more specific and getting us a website that enables us to be more specific about our value propositions uh for different people was probably like the biggest useful thing the second biggest useful thing with then i think was like tailoring and iterating the hell out of our actual onboarding for the use cases you're buying mm-hmm. so like uh all customers you know like all paths don't necessarily uh, have to go the same direction for somebody to become a customer of yours. For some people, they might want to install JavaScript. Other people might want to just import their customers and start from there. And we've we've like had great success kind of finding the right ways in which the right types of people can get onboarded to be successful with Intercom. We you know we've had I'd say we probably have, over the over the years of experimentation we've probably doubled or trebled our actual conversion rate. True things. Like wow. That. Yeah. How many times have you iterated on the sounds? Not enough. Okay. Yeah, not enough. Honestly, um, it's uh, it was something I was thinking about recently. We've been talking about the messenger a bit lately, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, it's weird how like audio doesn't get discussed in in a uh, software enough because it it's not part of the wireframes. If you know what I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't. You know, like you don't have the sound producer in the room with the designer. No, and, it's just yeah. an icon for a sound. Yeah, yeah, totally, happening. exactly. Yeah, yeah ex- precisely. Um, so no, you're totally correct. It's it, it's something that's on my mind. Um, does. There's a general sort of tension between like how um, how identifiable we want Intercom to be versus how how customizable it is, and that's another mm-hmm. spectrum you have to work out with your users. Like people often want to customize the Intercom launcher, and we we'll, we generally support them in doing that. But then they want to customize the messenger. We sort of support them in doing that. Uh, but then they want to customize specific bits so that it's barely Intercom anymore. And at some point, you're kind of like, whoa, I didn't realize I care about this. But we actually do have some beliefs about how well, this should Well, it might perform. make it terrible. Yeah, like, There totally. are plenty of sites where you're like, where the hell is that sound coming from? Yeah, totally. And like, why are there bells ringing right totally. now? And what, why is there a video auto playing and all that sort of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the worst. Um, so I'm curious about you in the future. Mm-hmm. What's coming next for you as your role at Intercom changes? Um, <clears throat> I would guess, you know, we're at a scale now where, uh, 
in general, as startups grow, you move from like Swiss Army knives to scalpels, right? So like, yeah. so and I'm, I, I was historically like a Swiss Army knife with one particularly pointy blade for product. Um, but that was useful because it meant I could go and bounce around and, and take, take on different portfolios of things and generally bring them up to some level and then learn enough. And then we could bring in somebody who actually knows what you're doing and, uh, and that person would inherit. <laughs> you haven't burned the house down. You yeah, can, like, exactly. Get yeah. Away. yeah and, and maybe I've got the bait. Maybe I've put out the immediate fires. Um, yeah. and I've sort of set the stage for like someone to come in and do some real work. Uh, and, uh, uh but I think we're at a scale now where, um, and maybe I'm unnecessarily optimistic, but I think we have like, you know, good people leading all the functions. So I think there might now be a, a, a time for me to maybe retreat to an area of, of uh, actual ability, uh, <laughs> which maybe looks like me going back to the product org. Or, uh, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, Intercom has never failed to surprise me with the areas, uh, the, the ways in which it can, you know, produce new problems for me, let's say. Uh, yeah. So then what, if you weren't working on Intercom, what mm-hmm. would you work on? I did answer this once before, and uh, you referred to it earlier. Um, there are, here's two problems I think about a lot. Uh, one of them is, uh, simple. It's soccer is without doubt the biggest sport on the planet. Um, sorry, Super Bowl fans. Uh, it's huge. Uh, and it is literally the sport technology is left behind. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of them are kind of societal or a lot of them cultural. Um, you know, nerds and sports tend not to go together. America and soccer tend not to go together as an example <laughs> sorry about the recent world cup sorry everyone <laughs> yeah. yeah um so uh but there's a huge opportunity there like yeah. piracy in soccer is i would say at like the levels pre itunes if you remember in the music industry right like there are like there is an equivalent of kazaz uh, there are many of them and, uh, and no one's doing anything to solve it uh solving it would be a very complex piece of work because mm-hmm. a lot of it isn't programming a lot of it would be actual code but there'll be a lot of deals and a lot Some of business partnership, to be done yeah. in partnerships and all that sort of shit right and it's not a guarantee that like espn won't get their shit together or something like that right but like i can imagine like a spotify for soccer right as in hey i want to watch that game that happened last night i should be able to watch it i'll, I'll, I'll pay mm-hmm. but it's not even possible for me to watch a game that happened yesterday it's just not possible like literally not that's possible insane. today uh so that's how backwards it is um and i think that needs to get fixed so i think someone should fix that i think the opportunity is big the market's huge so that's one another one is i think no one has really taken a harsh look at like uh uh let's just say pensions and retirement funds and stuff like that like as in there's a company in new york called lemonade that took a really really nice approach to insurance for property it's mm. it's a bot basically you talk to it and you can get you can literally insure your house in new york in like five minutes just through you know chatbot basically I think that's an example of like tackling a real what what has historically a lot of paperwork and a lot of fucking around uh, and turning into a relatively simple flow and making it work. I think that model, and I'm not saying chatbots aren't the thing here so much as drastic simplification is the thing. Um, would, the the Q and A maybe suggests that a chatbot might be like charming as a way to do it, or like at least unique from a brand perspective. Hmm. But I think there's a lot of areas like that. You know, where, uh, car insurance is another obvious iteration, but like anything to do with like a mortgage application, like, you know, like I think there's a lot of areas that are rich for like drastic simplification that people turn a little bit away from because of what Paul Graham would call like the schlep work side of it. Like, you know, it's, it's easier to build a recipe app, frankly, than it is to go and talk to banks about saying, I want to reduce mortgage creation to like tree taps, mm-hmm. you know, um, but 
I, I, you know, I, I think right. they're like obvious areas. What I would have to offer up front is that like, I don't feel a drastic passion in any of those myself, but there's something I could get excited about. When I say I don't feel a drastic passion, what I really mean is like, remember I talked earlier about like having a strong vision for the space and all that. Like I can jump to like a chatbot for like, you know, for mortgage applications, but I actually need to take a step back and be like, what do I actually believe here? Mm. And it's that, it's that I believe, I guess maybe like that finance should be liberated of the bureaucracy that's been inherent in the industry for so long. You know, but like I need to go and draw that whole landscape and then be like, am I excited to put another decade of my life onto something like this? Yeah. Cause like intercoms, you know, or the intercom story has taken a quarter of my life so far and I've enjoyed <laughs> it. True. But like, yeah. you know, if I was to, if I was ever to do something else, I, you know, I now know how many, how high a, a filter I have to apply in order to say yes. Right. But it's a huge problem. I mean, I, I suppose many of these are rare mm-hmm. in your lifetime, but they're yeah. gigantic. Big, huge, yeah, big, rare. That's that, that's a great point. That's big, a great, yeah, it's yeah. a great application of, of that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the, the incentives also aren't aligned, right? Mm-hmm. Like the companies are incentivized to make it complicated because yeah. they exist on fees. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Vanguard was such a success, right? Precisely, right. yeah. Ready? Index fund. Yep. Yeah, You're totally. done. Yeah, you're totally correct, yeah. So like I think, yeah, there's a, there's a simplification model there and the efficiencies you get by not having to go through all the bureaucracy you could sh- share that saving with the user in a sense um yeah i think the, like there, there is an opportunity there i'm, I'm very confident of that like uh but yeah the, the, there is like there's a bit of a bit of calculus you'd have to do to work out like you know where are you going to make your money and what's the best way to do it etc yeah. i think that's a whole category of startups that are just now in the past couple of years being attacked yeah, yeah because in the past i was like i'm not i'm gonna just make developer tools and stuff yeah, it's, like, it's just know. yeah if it's just me and my editor it's a lot easier right like, <laughs> um what is interesting is like the people probably best positioned to do it don't necessarily have the programming skills so like there's there's an i could imagine a world where like some universities this area we're gonna have our mbas meet our engineers and we're gonna throw a lot of problems in the air and we're gonna see what the fuck happens uh <laughs> And I could see that working. I don't, you know, I wouldn't rule that. But yeah. um, I think the last question I have for you is: you've written all this content over the years. You've, you know, done podcasts, intercoms, like all over the place. What's the favorite, your favorite thing that you've ever made? Like me, I mean, like so obviously I'm supposed to say intercom. I can hear my fucking comms team in the air already. Not, say intercom, it's a product. product. Not just a product. It's like it can <laughs> yeah, be yeah, a yeah. blog post, a podcast. Yeah, uh, we're going to assume you like intercom. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's just take that off the table. Uh, I guess, um, for me personally, as in the thing that will be a Des Trainer production of sorts, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I gave a seven minute talk, uh, in Boston, maybe five years ago, six years ago called product strategy means saying no. Okay. And, um, it has kind of been like, I'd say probably like, the, it's definitely the most popular talk I've ever given because it's seven minutes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think it was funny, uh, it, it was done in the style where like the sli- I had no control over the slides and they changed every 15 seconds. That was one of those. So okay. yeah. And, uh, and so I, it kind of forces you to be a little bit dynamic and entertaining, but it came out pretty well. It, it, it was shit in rehearsal. I was convinced it's going to be terrible, <laughs> but it came out pretty well when I actually performed it for real. And, uh, I think it kind of, it, you know, it raised my profile substantially as a hmm. sort of public speaker. And, uh, kind of sowed the seeds of a lot of future things. Like I got to speak at like, you know, 8,000 person events and stuff since wow. then. But, um, but I think that was probably, that, that's probably the one that I look back on and sort of chuckle about because it wasn't like I had, I intended that to happen, but, um, but kind of forced into a corner. Like I've always been, um, 
my my makeup is that I, I my, my I'm better under time pressure than I am under like like longitudinal sort of abstract uh, yeah. projects or whatever. Uh, and that was one of those shit. I have to do this thing in the next seven minutes. You know, yeah. I was like, let's just get going. <laughs> just turned it on, and I kind of backed into a corner. Uh, that was what I produced, and uh, and I I look back at that now, and I kind of I have fond memories of it. That's cool. Yeah, we'll link up to it then yeah, in the yeah. in the podcast cool, cool. Uh, transcript. There's, there's a blog. Yeah, I, I, there's a supporting blog post as well. But yeah, it was definitely some of the some of the more fun stuff I did. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much, Greg. It's great to be here. All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, the video and transcript are at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, please subscribe and review the show. All right. See you next week.